Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, June 1st. I hope everyone had a good Memorial Day weekend and behaved appropriately. As you know, June traditionally is a very busy month. It's the last month to make your second quarter numbers before everyone starts disappearing in July and August for vacation. And all you get from your clients and prospects is an auto reply. So get cracking. One thing that won't slow down this summer is the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare. A day hasn't gone by since last November when OpenAI released ChatGPT without some announcement of yet another healthcare AI breakthrough. It's starting to freak people out. So much so that people are calling for healthcare AI standards or rules or guardrails to make sure that when we ask Hal to open the pod bay doors, he'll open them. To tell us what kind of rules we need to govern healthcare AI are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Well, we spent Memorial Day clearing off the deck, putting out the furniture, planting flowers. We're ready for you to come over and have a beer, Dave, anytime you want. That sounds good. As long as it's cold, I don't care what brand it is. My, <laughs> that's my standard. Julie, how are you? I am doing well. Another beautiful day in Seattle, though a little bit chillier. And no, it's feeling like summer's going to be maybe a good, good summer. I'm having good feelings, but. Okay, good vibes, good vibes. That's great. Yeah, good vibes. Now, before we talk about guardrails for healthcare AI, I wanted to ask you about your healthcare chatbot experiences. Dave, have you ever used a chatbot to straighten out a medical bill or diagnose your symptoms? Well, when Zipnosis was in the throes of COVID, they had set up a curated question process on a bot to discover whether or not you had COVID. And I liked Zipnosis a lot and uh, it's kind of an asynchronous platform. So I got on and tested it and discovered I didn't have COVID, but I really liked the process of the machine asking questions in sequence, uh, depending on the answer going to one or another of the decision tree questions and, and getting to a point where a clinician could come on in a minute or two and give a diagnosis. So I, I did do that, was impressed by it. Still like Zip to this day, even though they sold to Bright, but that's another story and it is not a Bright one. <laughs> that is true. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? Any healthcare chatbot experiences that you're willing to share? Well, you know, first I'll say that uh, one of my most frustrating experiences have been with chatbots that are really automated phone experiences. So whether it's Walgreens or CVS, or recently I got sort of killed by a Medigap call from my mom that turned into my getting lost and some free offer for the life alert, you know, the iPhone and I can't get up. So I'm not a big fan of those, but um, <laughs> it, what it is amazing is that if you're part of the Providence System Swedish out here, you can use their online tool to put in a little bit of information about what's going on with you and they get you a list of the most accessible doctors in the near term, convenient to you, all mapped out, all that kind of stuff. Thanks to Dexcare, by the way, but it's, it is amazing when it works and they can be an informed way of getting an appointment. So it's coming. 
Very cool. Very cool. As the leading hypochondriac on my family tree, I've used many smart chatbot symptom checkers. None of them say I'm dying, so I all think they're worthless. So there you have it, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) And there's your segue into today's topic, and that's the regulation of AI in healthcare. Let me tee up the conversation with a few things. Way back in 2019, you remember 2019, the National Academy of Medicine came out with its famous Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare, the Hope, the Hype, the Promise, the Peril report. The report called for a graduated approach to regulation. The more risk to patients, the more regulation needed. Now, fast forward to April of this year, and the Coalition for Health AI released its blueprint for trustworthy AI implementation guidance and assurance for healthcare. And then in May, the World Health Organization issued a call for the safe and ethical use of AI for health. Things are moving fast, and many well-respected people are calling for something to stop AI from killing us. So I'm going to ask each of you the same three questions. Should we regulate healthcare AI? If so, who should regulate it? And if we do regulate it, where is the line between promoting and stifling market innovation? In other words, how would you do it? Dave, you go first. Well, Dave, first of all, in 2019, I don't know how you didn't bring this up, but the customer revolution in healthcare published in 2019, you know, the greatest book on healthcare ever written. So just want to make sure our readers check in on that fact. We got it. But I'm I'm going to go to your last question first about drawing the line and give you DJ's three rules for design regulation, the most important of which I call the Goldilocks rule. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. You know, getting that balance that you talk about between protection and ensuring good behavior and not stifling market innovation. An example of regulation that's too cold would be the hospital pricing transparency guidelines. The penalty wasn't big enough, so most hospitals have just chosen to pay the penalty rather than go along with the reg. That's not a good outcome. Too cold. An example of one that's too hot was in the early 2000s when Congress imposed a moratorium on specialty hospitals and completely shut down that business, sent MedCath into bankruptcy, among others, way too hot. So balance, not too hot, not too cold. The second is the need for regulation depends on the potential for either harm or benefit. So the greater the harm or the greater the benefit, the higher the need for governmental regulation as opposed to industry regulation. By and large, industries haven't been terribly good at regulating themselves. So at the end of the day, I think we default to government for most regulation, and it's an art more than a science. And when designing regulations, this is point number three, they should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. So clarity is essential, needs to eliminate ambiguity, There may need to be a common lexicon. In fact, there almost always needs to be a common lexicon and standardization whenever and wherever possible. So as simple as possible, but not simpler. So it has to get the job done, but it should do it in the most efficient way possible. Again, that's as art as much as a science. There are always unintended consequences with regulation. The regulations themselves have to adapt 
to market circumstances, just like they've increased the prices on hospital transparency violations. But just think of all of the unintended consequences when we put in regulations to stop behavior, abortion restrictions, minimum wage hikes, Endangered Species Act, there's always a counter reaction. So getting that balance right, trying that line in the right way, not too hot, not too cold, more important when, when consequences are big, and then as simple as possible, but not simpler. Those are DJ's rules for regulation. You heard them here first. When it comes to AI regulation, that's an awfully broad topic for a two to three minute elocution. So I'm gonna focus on what I think is AI's biggest potential benefit in healthcare, and that's earlier and better diagnosis. I've just written a piece that we'll publish next month in the HFM magazine called Diagnostic Determinism. And I'm looking at the combination of big data with our much advanced understanding of the human body's mechanics. So all the omics, uh, genomics, proteomics, uh, and so on. And when you do longitudinal studies in different mediums, so blood, scans, signal devices. You build up these massive data sets. We then unleash analytics, machine learning, looking for patterns, finding correlations, ultimately finding very, very early indicators of disease correlated to largely chronic conditions and oftentimes very serious chronic conditions, you know, heart disease, cancers, Alzheimer's, that type of thing. And imagine a not too distant future day when we will get these indications three, four years in advance with more than enough time to change lifestyle behaviors, take drugs, um, do whatever is necessary to either slow the course of disease progression or reverse it entirely. And there'll be continuous learning. Another great thing about this is the ability to do retrospective analysis. So looking for patterns in retrospect and honing the algorithms in that way. So the question is, you know, this means I think we're going to have a lot more preventive health care 10 years from now than we do today. Prevention is only 3% of the budget. What's it in 10 years, 10, 15, 20, 25, whatever it is, it's going to be very disruptive to the current healthcare business models, but ultimately very good for humanity. So should we regulate that? Well, really good question. My initial instinct is we shouldn't regulate it any more than we do now when developing treatment protocols, unless, and this is a big caveat, there are serious unintended consequences that I don't see right now. False positives are less concerning than false negatives. We also need to avoid over-testing. So that's, that's, again, the art and science of this. So let me wrap up with one example of generative AI that really has me on edge, actually scares the crap out of me, and that's hallucinations. What we're discovering with ChatGPT4 now, which makes ChatGPT3 look like a toy, is that it can produce in seconds a very thorough report on any topic of your liking in any language with footnotes. What we've discovered, and the technologists don't know why, is some of the footnotes, some of the references are either wrong or they go to dead ends. That's what they call hallucinations, and they don't know why they occur. 
And I'm thinking in a future date when the machines are talking to the machines and we don't really understand how they communicate with one another. I mean, that's the whole beauty of machine learning is they they see things that human beings can't. That the potential for disinformation, errors, maybe even malicious manipulation increases. So when some of the technologists called for a six-month delay so we can understand this a little bit better. I was, I'm in that camp. Obviously that hasn't happened, but I worry about hallucinations. I don't think it gets us all the way to hell, Dave. I mean, your fear and my fear because we're both named Dave, <laughs> you know, it, it's definitely something to worry about and pay attention to. Yeah. It's like kind of a, a GPS to nowhere, right? That is pretty scary. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? So Dave, when I really sat back and looked at our Congress in particular and their experience base and their age and their ability to think about regulating AI. Now, of course, we're good at drawing on experts. I get that. What is the WHO doing in this whole game? Did you see the fact that the WHO has identified six core principles that it's now saying should be part of the regulation of AI? What is it? Has the WHO been involved in really driving regulation in the past? It's crazy. The WHO has done incredibly well in terms of regulation is coming up with surgical checklists that they've implemented broadly all over the world and with dramatic improvement in in outcomes, standardizing lexicon, like I talked about earlier, making sure that everyone is on the same page, making sure that all the preventive steps and necessary checks have been in place. So just standard checklist stuff like happens on an airline or anywhere else. So if what the WHO is promulgating here with regard to AI, that's worth paying attention to with all of the caveats I talked about before in in DJ's rules of regulations. So get the temperature right. Surgical interventions are pretty serious. So regulation of those through checklists is a really smart thing to do, low cost. And then really understanding the trade-offs and making them as simple as possible, but not simpler. So hopefully WHO is acting in that regard. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks, Dave. Julie, it's your turn. The uh, same three questions. Should we regulate healthcare AI? And if so, who should regulate it? And if we regulate it, where is the line between promoting and stifling market innovation? Or what would you do? Well, I mean, this is so much bigger than a healthcare issue, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday the Center for AI Safety, which is some no-name you know, organization from what I can tell from friends I know in the tech industry, put out a 22-word statement that was signed by over 100 researchers, academics, C-suite executives, like the CEO of DeepMind with Google, the CEO of OpenAI that said, and I quote, Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. <laughs> Just let that sink in a little. Yeah, I don't I don't like the word extinction. Extinction. But uh, please continue. That's a hell of an <laughs> unintended consequence, isn't it? <laughs> the yeah. end of life as we know it. <laughs> And I just want somebody to open the door so I can get in, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's all a timing game, Britta. So, you know, this is serious stuff. I mean, just issued yesterday, signed by hundreds of leaders um, who I think, Dave, are some of the same people calling for kind of a pause. 
At the same time, regulations happening. China, the EU, Brazil, among others, have already drafted, you know, completely unique pieces of legislation to regulate AI in their countries. So let's just stop for a minute on that one and ask ourselves, could you actually have a fragmented approach to this that works in our global economy? Like it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> and when I looked at what some of the regulation is, the EU is most extensive. They're looking at regulating both the inputs and the outputs. So think about in healthcare, our inputs. Well, here's this week's quiz. All right, get ready. Ready? <laughs> Boy. All right. I've got a winning streak going here, Dave. I, you do. I don't want to blow it. Let's see if I can ask the question well enough that you might have a chance of getting it. So what's one of the most overused phrases in healthcare about the data that sits in claim systems or EHRs that, you know, potentially poses one of the biggest issues or risks with AI. All right, Dave, you want to go first? Or you want me to take a stab? No, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I've got an idea what I'm going to say. But, uh, I'm going to say bias. That's a pretty good guess. I'm going to say, Julie, prior authorization. You know what I love about you guys and us, really, is that we're so inside baseball that sometimes you don't think simply enough. So wrong on both counts, but very good answers. <laughs> and the answer is, I, I have heard this time and time again, garbage in, garbage out. We've said this, Dave, right? Yeah. yeah. In the AI world, you know, they talk about that as value in, value out. But in healthcare, it's garbage in. We all know that if you just put this in context, we have had decades of upcoding and frankly, at fraudulent levels, right? We have patient information edited from the beginning, really, to address liability concerns. We have patient information that's actually sometimes exaggerated for coverage. So regardless of whether our data is representative from a health equity perspective or bias, verdict the answer, is it actually representative of the real care provided or is it crafted for other motivations? So while it's complex for Congress to consider regulating inputs like that or inputs in general, like we all know that healthcare is a mess when it comes to our inputs. <laughs> so how about the outputs on our side? Should we you know, I guess, limit certain uses of output? Should we require disclaimers about the accuracy of work that's based on AI? I mean, there could be things that could be useful, I don't know. So the more I looked into what's really happening around regulation here, the scarier it gets when you start to really break it down in healthcare. But the fun discoveries I had, first of all, Dave, I agree with you, just the fact that we have a term called AI hallucinations makes me laugh and is terrifying. You know, some some tech companies talk about AI as really helping them be able to do what they can do with analytics, but just at warp speed, be able to see customer preferences shifting on almost like a real-time basis. And customer preferences are not something that healthcare really prioritizes or even is built around knowing how to harness, right? We we don't think about really how customer preferences might shift our products. So <laughs> Some of the most traditional uses of AI aren't even really applicable to us in current day. And, you know, I guess on the upside, I also see how there are some, I guess, applications of AI that are really looking at how do you actually choose data sets that allow you to control, you know, almost like more of a micro data set way of controlling what you can act on based on maybe the 
insights of other types of data sets and historically. And Dave, this kind of gets to one of the points you made about could it be used in a retrospective way in a really powerful way. So there's downside and upside for sure. But one thing that scared me to death was the fact that, I don't know if you know this, but some of the data, or I guess the data collected in, I think it was OpenAI's program hasn't been updated in over 18 months. And there have been bugs that have shut ChatGPT down. For instance, one recently where users were able to see the titles of other users' conversation threads, which you know, took them offline for a while until they could fix it. And I just don't think with all the hallucinations, with the dirty data, with what is happening in the program, that if there are bugs in there, which of course there are because every technology has bugs, like we, we do need to slow down and figure out what we're doing here. But you know, large language models are being used all over the place to in healthcare around patient engagement, communication, informing hospital ADP choices, making waves across healthcare workforce. So there, there are a lot of ways it's being used today. I would say, I would argue kind of in back office ways that are probably highly beneficial to healthcare efficiency. Wow. So DRG creep could get me a heart transplant when all I needed was an angioplasty. <laughs> That's right. 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 Yeah. Watch out, Alberta. Wow. Okay. Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, as long as I don't get cyanide when I want an aspirin, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all have our issues. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Julie, you know, kind of based on everything you were throwing at us, um, and given the fast-paced development and distributed character of AI applications, can we, even if we really want to, actually regulate its use? Uh, aren't there enough end runs around potential regulations and the old guys that put them in place to render them essentially ineffective? Isn't, isn't the market almost moving too fast? What do you think? Well, I do feel like this topic has got me a little worked up this week. So <laughs> thanks for the, for the, uh, the heart palpitations. Sure. You're welcome. Throwing that at you. I, I've actually been quite interested in trying to learn more and more and more. You know, uh, HBS has had a lot of traffic back and forth on this, on a couple of things that they've written. And I found one comment really interesting as it relates to your question, Dave. Someone said that, you know, AI can only do what human intelligence can do because it's all based on our work over time, right? The broader our. So AI just does it faster. And you can't regulate human intelligence. You can really only regulate the expression of that intelligence. So likewise, this person argued that you can't regulate AI. You can only regulate its expression and use. And of course, governments like China are trying to regulate AI, which is kind of imposing the same kind of censorship that they impose on human expression. So we're going to have to ask ourselves these questions that are very nuanced and probably difficult to parse to really do something meaningful here if it can be done, Dave, to your point. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, when I wrote this script, I had myself coming down in the middle. And then after Dave's answer, I'm like, no way we should regulate this. After Julie's answer, I'm like, we have to regulate the hell out of this. So I think the only thing I can do is to try to stay healthy, right? Well, what a great discussion. Thank you both. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. 
And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment for the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.